Hello, everyone. Welcome to another 15-minute devotional. Uh, This particular devotional is going to be for Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. Uh, We welcome you to this podcast and online video series for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church and for onlookers on Facebook and YouTube and listeners to Melvin Gaines' Faith Channel. My name is Melvin Gaines. We're going to encourage viewers and listeners to get more into God's Word. It's sorely needed today. And we want them to get into it and stay into it uh, with consistency as you learn and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So today's reading, again, as I mentioned, is for Wednesday, June the 21st. Our church encourages participation in the two-year Bible reading plan, which allows for the reader to cover the entire Bible over a two-year period. And our devotional here, the way we do this, is that we will present the passages for today and make some verbal notes about the content as we go. When you follow the two-year Bible reading plan, it would normally cover a 7 to 10 minute period of time, uh, followed by the last 5 to 8 minutes of time for reflection of the readings and then closing out in prayer. That is why we refer to it as a 15-minute devotional. We encourage everyone to follow this pattern as we develop the best habits for reading, for studying, and meditating on God's Word. And, of course, you can read more than 10 minutes of uh, the Bible per day. But for those of us who have time constraints, the 15-minute devotional helps establish good habits every single day. So let's go ahead and get started. Amen. Uh, We're going to be reading today in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 26. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Psalm 69, verses 14 through 18. And Proverbs 17, verses 19 through 21. Excuse me. So, let's go ahead and get started with the reading in Deuteronomy chapter 7. So, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Deuteronomy 7, uh, and we'll start at verse 1. That's really the entire chapter of Deuteronomy that we're covering. And just so you know, for this particular reading in Deuteronomy, This is about how uh, the Lord is going to distinguish through the writings here of Moses about God's chosen people and that we are to be separate. We are to be separate, excuse me, from other nations. The nation of Israel was to be separate from other nations. Uh, The bodies of the believers of Jesus Christ, we have to live in such a manner where we make a distinction uh, from those who do not live or follow the Lord. So that's kind of the essence of what we're going to be getting at here. And But notice that the rhetoric here is going to be quite harsh because of those who are in opposition to um, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and specifically here in this particular reading, hostile to God, not really wanting to follow God, wanting to live their own way. Let's start with verse 1, Deuteronomy 7. Uh, this is the New Living Translation. We read it for, always from the New Living Translation for ease of reading. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. Verse 2, when the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them, 
Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars. Cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. For you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Verse 9. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. Verse 10, but, if, but he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must obey all these commands, decrees, and regulations I am giving you today. If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you as he promised with an oath to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you, and he will give you many children. He will give fertility to your land and your animals. When you arrive in the land he swore to give your ancestors, you will have large harvests of grain, new wine, and olive oil, and great herds of cattle, sheep, and goats. You will be blessed above all the nations of the earth. None of your men or women will be childless, and your livestock will bear young. Verse 15, And the Lord will protect you from all sickness. He will not let you suffer from the terrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all your enemies. You must destroy all the nations the Lord God, your God hands over to you. Show them no mercy and do not worship their gods or they will trap you. Perhaps you will think to yourselves, how can we ever conquer these nations that are so much more powerful than we are? Verse 18, but don't be afraid of them. Just remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all the land of Egypt. Remember the great terrors the Lord your God sent against them. You saw it all with your own eyes. And remember the miraculous signs and wonders in the strong hand and powerful arm with which he brought you out of Egypt. The Lord your God will use the same power against the peop all the people you fear. Verse 20. And the then the Lord your God will send terror to drive out the few survivors still hiding from you. No, do not be afraid of those nations, for the Lord your God is among you, and he is a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you little by little. You will not clear them away all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals would be multiplied too quickly for you. Verse 23, but the Lord your God will hand them over to you. He will throw them into complete confusion until they are destroyed. He will put their kings in your power and he will, you will erase their names from the face of the earth. No one will be able to stand against you and you will destroy them all. You must burn their idols in fire and you must not covet the silver or gold that covers them. You must not take it or it will become a trap to you, for it is detestable to the Lord your God. Verse 26, do not bring any detestable objects into your home, for then you will be destroyed just like them. You must utterly detest such things, for they are set apart 
for destruction. Okay, that was all of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 26. Now, let's make something very clear here about this, because, of course, this is an Old Testament writing, uh, Moses writing, uh, giving a recap to the Israelites about what they should be doing and how they should be obedient to the Lord. Understand something. When the Lord is giving you this information about being separate, he's not saying so where you're looking at it from a standpoint Applying it to modern times where you thumb your nose at people who don't agree with you or believe in you. This is written for a different time, but the principles are still the same about how we are called to live in such a manner where we are set apart. And that's exactly what it means. Uh, holiness means to be set apart. That's exactly what we're referring to here. And the Lord is giving us very specific instructions about the, not getting up with the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All bigger nations, all more powerful, but they're all more powerful and bigger nations for one reason. They were immoral people. They were sexually immoral people. And, of course, we know that we are commanded in the, in the, Old, in the uh, New Testament, the New Commandments, or excuse me, the Ten Commandments, pardon me, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments about not killing people. But the Lord here has given the nation, the, uh, the nation of Israel, instructions to wipe these people out and wipe them v virtually off the face of the earth. Why is that? Because these people are evil. These people do not have anything good to be associated with. It's a terrible thing. And we want to make sure that we're understanding that God is giving this command because these people, because they were not living right, not living mor morally or ethically correctly, totally against God, living in their own manner, they were... Uh, believe it or not, uh, just being ravaged with venereal disease, diseases, sicknesses, illnesses rate related to their behavior. So you don't want any part of that. You didn't want any part of that. And what the Lord was commanding them not to do was to get with these people or intermarry with them because that would wipe out the nation of Israel. Plain and simple uh, from, a, from a standpoint for number one, for being disobedient to the Lord, not following his truth or commands. But number two, they would be ravaged uh, with the, the the diseases that they were being ravaged with. And all of that influence, whether it be the disease itself or the the way that they were not following the Lord, they would destroy the nation of Israel. So they had to be destroyed. They had to be taken out. So, and the Lord was using this as a teachable moment to remind them, yeah, all of them are bigger than you, but the Lord can deliver you. If you just go in and do exactly what I tell you to do, remember what he did when you were uh, in slavery in the land of Egypt and you were being freed. What did the Lord do? He, he ravaged the people of Egypt. Uh, he did everything that, to show that he was indeed the one uh, that was in control of the situation. And the Lord would do the same thing for the nation of Israel if he went up against these other seven nations as well, too. Don't be afraid of them. Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all the land of Egypt. That's again in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 7. So it's a, it's a teachable moment here for those of us when we face odds that are usually much bigger than what we would expect. We are, our imagination sometimes gets us uh, in trouble if we start thinking, things, thinking through things too much, overthinking them. We are to live in faith before our Lord and not in fear. And we need to make sure that we're recognizing this teachable moment uh, in the Old Testament where we're looking exactly at what God is telling you. Don't even take anything 
that belongs to those people into your homes. You separate yourselves completely from them. You're going to burn the idols. You're going to do everything you can to make sure that those individuals are wiped out, as the Lord says, because that land belongs to you. That's the land I am giving you. And for those of us who wonder why would be the Lord be so harsh against, <clears throat> pardon me, these other nations, these other people involved, you have to understand we do have a God that is a God who is merciful and he does believe in making sure that everyone has an opportunity to recognize him. But these nations, he knew the hearts of these people. He knew where they were coming from. They had no desire to follow God. They, so in, under those circumstances, the Lord was going to punish them through this occupation by Israel coming in and taking over. They were going to be wiped out. They were going to be destroyed. Uh, and that's exactly what we needed to see here. Um, God's mercy is always present and always exists. But if he knows your heart, if he knows where you're at and you have no desire to seek after him, then he is not going to uh, express or share that mercy with you. And that's that's a really telling thing that we have to recognize. We live in an age of grace today. We've said this a number of times lately because we know that there are people out here right now that absolutely are doing everything they can to show that they're not following God by their actions. But yet God has been merciful that those people weren't immediately just struck dead. You know, remember what happened with Ananias and Sapphira uh, in the book of Acts? Remember, there, God will show himself to be just and he will give people an opportunity or every opportunity who truly do want to hear from him and seek him. But we have to also keep in mind that those who have hard hearts that are not turning to the Lord, they kind of come under a different category now when it comes to this area of mercy. So that's something that I just wanted to use as a takeaway. There's much more into this that we really um, don't have a lot of time to discuss, but he, one thing I do want to add here to though before we go from Deuteronomy 7 is that God is also showing us in this text about how faithful he is to his people. He's also showing us how much he loves his people because that has been emphasized. So before you come back and say that God is just cold and cruel and cruel-hearted and doesn't really care, uh, that's just not the character of God. So we have to take sometimes our own emotions out of it and put them where they belong focus on what the Lord has said throughout the text. Be very consistent with that. Not just pick out pieces, parts and say, oh boy, we, we serve a hard God, a cruel God. No, we don't. We serve a God who gives us every opportunity to get get it together and get it, get it figured out. Recognize that Jesus is Lord and that's exactly who we serve. But if you, if you decided that you don't want to follow God, then what, what is God supposed to do at that point? Is he supposed to just ignore that or not pay attention to it? At the end of the day, he allows you time to get it figured out. But when you die, there's no backseas. There's no coming back and trying to figure it out after the fact. You've made your decision. You've made your choice and recognize that for what it is. I tell you, that's that's really important for us to see here, too. God is an amazing God, but he's very consistent in how he approaches his holiness, what it means to set apart, what it means for you to be set apart. Amen. Okay. Let's move to Luke chapter 7. Thank you for your patience while allowing me to get through that and try to remember all the points when I looked at this before. But those pretty much covered it. One thing I want to mention to you as well, too, as you go through your own readings and devotions, a good commentary is a good thing to keep handy as well, too. Haven't talked about it much 
in this venue. I have talked about it before in Sunday school and within church as well, too, but sometimes a good commentary uh, is very helpful for you to look at some of these Old Testament passages and make sure that you are on target with greater understanding of those things. I do recommend J. Vernon McGee's Through the Bible Commentary. It's excellent. It's very helpful um, for this such a, uh, such a venue. I'm not being compensated for that, for saying it. It's just a personal choice that I have. That There are others as well, too, that you can look at as well for commentaries um, and making sure that you're, you're doing everything you can to uh, gain greater understanding as the Spirit speaks to you about your reading and praying. Amen? Okay, Luke chapter 7. Thank you again for listening. Verses 36 through 50. So let's get to 36. Okay. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went out to his home and sat down to eat. Verse 37. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair, and she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Verse 40, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. Verse 42, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to this woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. In verse 40, 45, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Verse 48, then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, now understand something about this. Now this is a uh, one of a couple of instances where Jesus has been encountered by a woman who uh, is basically giving him uh, attention and they are so uh, deeply affected by uh, God's presence, by the presence of Jesus Christ, that they're very emotional and the woman is recognizing that she's living a life that is not the life that she wants to live or should live and so Jesus is giving her uh, forgiveness, expressing forgiveness for it. But there's other details in here to look at. First of all, the Pharisee that invited Jesus to go to dinner. First of all, let's make sure that we understand that this is another invitation to dinner. This Pharisee, though, these guys are not necessarily looking to buddy up with Jesus. If anything, they're trying to find ways to trap him or, or, or trick him into saying something that he doesn't want to do. And so this Pharisee invited him to dinner. 
and did not follow the customs that you would normally follow when you invite someone to come into your presence. That's why Jesus meant they made that reference uh, about you didn't give him olive oil for his head. You didn't wash his feet. You didn't do take care of those things. So now it, he's partially at the same time while he's speaking to this Pharisee named Simon, he's calling him out for not following the customs that he was supposed to follow when he makes a dinner invitation. And Jesus didn't say anything about it at the time when he was invited in. He just came in and sat down and was ready to eat. And this woman came in. And let's talk about this woman who came in. This was a woman was a lady of the evening, by all accounts. She was one who was, everybody knew what she was all about. And I dare say, you know, she, for some reason, she knew to come in without any problem to Simon's house and, and, and get, get uh, behind Jesus and, and start washing his feet because he was reclining there. And that's kind of how it is when you're sitting down. And the woman just started doing what she was doing. And uh, Jesus didn't pay her any attention at that point. She waited until the opportunity came to speak about what she was doing. But Simon knew who this woman was. Simon knew who this woman was. And you have to understand something. Because he knew who she was. She had a reputation. And guess what? For all we know that Simon knew exactly what to do when nobody else was looking and invite that woman in to do whatever he wanted to do. So Simon is hardly uh, righteous in the situation as well, too. So we have to recognize that we think all the players knew each other here. Jesus knew about her because Jesus knows the heart of every person. And Jesus knew about her reputation. Jesus knew because that's Jesus. But that's what we want to take away from this here is that the Pharisees don't have any good intent here in inviting Jesus to, to come in their midst. But Jesus still uses this as a teachable moment for Simon, the Pharisee, uh, for the woman who came and uh, put alabaster jar of perfume on his feet and the tears and washed his feet. And, and un, honestly, the bottom line is that Jesus is giving logic to this whole thing about who do you believe is forgiven more in the situation? It was the man who had the 500, the debt of 500 uh, pieces of silver as opposed to the one who had 50 pieces of silver. And what was the point that he was making there? Go back to verse 47 in Luke chapter 7. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. There seems to be a correlation there, isn't there? And that's what, exactly what Jesus is referencing to. And he's calling out, frankly, Simon the Pharisee for not doing the things that he should do as a custom. It was a custom of the day. It wasn't something whether you liked someone or not. You would do and perform the custom if you invited them to dinner. So a big lesson here for us to understand and also a reference to how Jesus indeed forgave that woman's sins because her heart was genuine. She was genuinely humble before the Lord. She was genuinely rep genuinely repentant of what she had done. And so let's keep that in mind as we look at this. Because she was a sinner and everybody knew who she was. She took the step to come forward and bow herself down before Jesus, declaring him as Lord and Savior and asking for forgiveness. She knew exactly who the Messiah was. She knew exactly who Jesus was. And because of that, she was forgiven. Her sins were forgiven. It was up to that woman from this point on to do what? Live according to what uh, Jesus would have her, how she would have her, to, he would have her to live. Live in that manner and not go back to a, a lifestyle of just sleeping around, doing whatever you want for money, that type of thing. 
making a living that way. Um, and we have lessons to learn in this life as well, too. When we go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness for our sin, what are the expectations of that? God forgives us of our sin, and he also expects us, what, to change our behavior, return from the behavior, repent and not go back to that behavior again. Granted, because he is, shows grace, if we make that same mistake again, we can go back and ask for forgiveness again. But we have to have the heart of repentance and wanting to stop that type of behavior. Keep in mind, Jesus knows exactly what you're thinking and where you're at. And we don't just do it just to get brownie points and then go back and do whatever we want to do. We need to live in a manner that honors our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And not live in such a way where God is a robot. He forgives us because we come to him. And then you go back and do the same thing over and over again. That's not exactly how we're supposed to live, is it? We need to live in such a manner where we are being obedient to the Father. That's what he calls us to do. Okay, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Psalm 69. Let's look at verses 14 through 18. Now, I encourage you on your own time to read all of Psalm 69 because this is going to be something contextually that's going to be helpful for you. It's going to actually talk about the silent years of Christ. And while we can go and look at the the Gospels and there are things, there's a gap of time where um, it's recorded, I believe, in Luke where we, we have a reading of, of an occurrence of what happens to him at age 12, um, but then it goes until his adulthood. There's no uh, nothing really mentioned about Jesus until he becomes age 30, okay? So we have to uh, make a note that this psalm is actually recording some periods of time of Jesus' life in between all of that and even up into the persecution. But let's start with verse 14. Uh, rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me and pull me from those deep waters. This is Jesus praying, okay? Don't let the floods overwhelm me or the deep waters swallow me or the pit of death devour me. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me, for your mercy is so plentiful. Don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in deep trouble. Come and redeem me, free me from my enemies. So a lot of this has to do with the time when Jesus was on the cross. And he was, of course, what an emotional time it was for Jesus. This, Like I had mentioned in a previous Sunday school class, no one had ever done anything like this before. What Jesus went through on the cross was the first time and only time that this would take place. So therefore, there was no other precedent for it. He was doing something that had never been done before. And of course, being in his human state, he was a human being and he was going to go to the cross and he went to the cross. This was a very, very scary thing. He was very, very um, fearful of what had happened, but yet he remained obedient. His fear was turned into faith, being obedient to the Father, onto the cross and that's exactly what we need to recognize here we sometimes as human beings need to understand that jesus ex expressed emotion like this and showed us this to make us just take solace in the fact that we indeed uh can be emotional but when it comes right down to it our emotions are trumped by our faith to overcome fear in those moments when we're having difficulty jesus is showing this as a lesson for us to remember 
And he's asking for the Lord to provide deliverance. He's asking for the Lord to give him deliverance. It's a very interesting dynamic that's taking place here when we look at Jesus on the cross. His communication with the Father. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, my God, you know, it has to do with the sin burden that was put upon him. All the sins of the world were put on Jesus Christ. That was, in effect, a way to separate for that moment separate him from the lord because god is holy and and that's what we need to understand and god and jesus was going to be the sacrifice that was going to take care of those sins of the entire world past present and future and provide a way for every person who looks to jesus as the focus in their life lord and savior their life that their sins would be forgiven for all time and that's what we need to recognize here too do we still need to go to God for forgiveness of sin? Of course we do. But when it comes to our eternity, that's been taken care of because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as per our personal Savior. I just love what he says here. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. These are all emotional responses to what's been going on or what is going on at that time. And we need to see this distress, but we also need to see his deliverance, his victory. His victory on the cross, that he indeed died for our sins and was raised again. Without the resurrection, there's no point in having this conversation. So the resurrection is very important for us to see the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Good reading. Psalm, all of Psalm 69. Make sure you take the time to do that as well, too. Finally, let's look at Proverbs. Proverbs 17, verses 19 through 21. Proverbs 17, verses 19 through 21. And, of course, these Proverbs are always written to the uh, person in the Old Testament who wants to be obedient to the law. But these all apply. And we have to understand that there are some truths here that when we read the Proverbs about human behavior, right? I mean, that's what we're looking at. And it says here in verse 19, anyone who loves to quarrel loves sin. Anyone who trusts in high walls invites disaster. The crooked heart will not prosper. The lying tongue tumbles into trouble and finally it's a pain it is painful to be the parent of a fool there is no joy for the father of a rebel all truths being expressed here anybody who likes to fight all the time who likes all kinds of drama that's just sinful behavior amen i, I don't really it doesn't really matter the reason why you're doing it quarreling arguing making trouble or difficulty it's sinful behavior Anyone who trusts in high walls invites disaster. In other words, if you just want to uh, barricade yourself, you don't want to be involved in service for the Lord, it's not beneficial for you to do that. It's more beneficial for you to be obedient to the Lord and go out into the world and preach the gospel. Verse 20, the crooked heart will not prosper. The lying, tongues tum lying tongue tumbles into trouble. Crooked heart. Well, that's the opposite of what God would have you to do. You're not going to prosper. You're not going to get away with anything if you feel like cheating or stealing is going to get you ahead someplace. You have to be accountable for your actions. The lying tongue tumbles into trouble. People who have trouble speaking the truth are always going to be in. They're not going to be trusted. No one's going to want to be around you if you do that. Um, you're going to get yourself into trouble. And finally, verse 21, it's painful to be the parent of a fool. There's no joy for the father of a rebel. You don't hear people talking much about people in their families who are acting foolishly. 
Parents are going to keep silent on stuff like that. They're not going to want to talk about it. Whereas that's even contrary to what our human nature is. You want to be able to speak about your kids as, and being proud of them. You want to be able to say that they're doing great things. You want to be able to say that they're wonderful because if they embarrass you, you're not going to want to talk about them. And so, frankly, that's what this passage is all about. A lot of truths here that we look at in Proverbs. And, of course, um, reading Proverbs, you know, typically when you're reading on these daily readings, you're only going to read a few at a time. It's okay to go ahead and take a look at other parts of those Proverbs, too, and read them and see if there is some contextual information there. Sometimes there is. Sometimes there isn't necessarily. But it's good to look at all of those things and be consistent in your daily reading. Amen? Okay. Um, let's close out in prayer. That's the way we're going to end this. And we appreciate you being here again for another 15 minute devotional. Father, thank you for this time that you've given to us to read and study your word. Bless this time together that we have. We give you thanks. We give you praise. And we thank you again for the wisdom and knowledge that comes from it. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. We appreciate you being here for another 15 minute devotional. Thanks so much for being here for this is for Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. Take care of yourselves. God bless you, and we will see you next time.